Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. All right, here we go. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the weekend review and bowl betting preview part three. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. We will get to touch a little bit on your hogs Thursday night. You looking forward to that game? Still on as of now, right? Not like yeah. Iowa, Missouri. Oh yeah. Still on as of now. I got to check the COVID updates because I'm going to take all my masks and hand sanitizers down and, and be uh, 20 feet away from other Razorback fans. But yeah, I plan on being in attendance in Energy Stadium. Uh, so uh, yeah, so far we're good to go on that bowl. Woo pig suey. All right, well, let's get right into the weekend review, weekend recap, then we'll get to your voicemails, and then we'll get into seven bowls starting on Tuesday, going through Thursday, leading up until the Arkansas game. If you want to share any quick thoughts on that, you can, but we'll cover that game when we record on Wednesday, which will be an episode that covers all of the weekend bowl games. Um, So we have seven bowl games to get to, but first... Do want to just provide a quick NFL recap. Pretty crazy NFL day, especially for AFC playoff implications. Uh, you know, on Saturday night, Miami comes back. It's a miracle win. By the way, that game was like 14-13 with five to go. If you had the under 50 and a half, it ends 26-25. Ugh. But Miami wins, keeping their playoff hopes alive. Fitz magic. Fitz magic. Fitz magic. As a Ravens fan and a Ravens futures ticket holder, that was bad for me. So I knew going into Sunday, I really needed a Colts loss. And the Colts came out, were all over Pitt. I mean, Pitt couldn't even get a first down. The Steelers get a miraculous comeback late, a little assisted by the refs. Indianapolis on that broadcast, up, what, 17 in the second half? Jim Nance and Tony Romo were talking about the Colts as a two seed. As of this moment, the Colts are out of the playoffs. The Colts will need help next week. They will need to win. They need the Bills to potentially lose or the Browns. Now, the Browns are playing the Steelers next week. The Steelers clinch the division. The Browns also just need to win next week, but they should because the Steelers are probably going to rest their starters. Those two teams might meet again. Because of the Colts' loss, the Ravens control their own destiny, as do the Dolphins. So if Dolphins, Browns, and Ravens all win, those are your three wildcard teams in the AFC, and the Colts will be left out. Now, even if the Steelers do set their starters, the Browns still could lose. The Dolphins could lose to the Bills. We'll see what the Bills do about their starters. And who knows? The Ravens could lose to the Bengals. Hell, the Ravens lost to the Bengals in Week 17 at home uh, a few years ago. It, It kept them out of the playoffs. Lots of weird things could happen in Week 17. But the Chiefs did clinch the number one overall spot in the AFC. They'll likely or maybe rest starters next week. And then you're going to have the Steelers, Bills, Titans, uh, most likely. I bet the Steelers today, and I'm down 24 to 7. And I can dive through all their advanced analytics. I can't figure out what makes this team so hot and then just all of a sudden so cold. Are they really a fraud? Are they not a fraud? That's for, like, people on public radio to discuss. But, I mean, from an advanced number perspective – the team is like <laughs> – they have flashes of being the best team in the league, and then they go ice cold. I, I, I can't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, their schedule has been very easy, and they were running well with turnovers. They've had injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Their offense is still broken. Their offensive line is not playing as well. They can't run the ball at all. So they have no balance in their offense. And then on these third and one, fourth and one, they can't pick them up because they can't run the ball. They get no push on the offensive line. Some of their offensive line metrics are worse than the NFL when it comes to run blocking. What they did in the second half, finally, is because their offense now, it's completely reliant, or it has been for the most part, reliant on short passes. When you get a lot of drops, that's not helpful either. But just regardless, if you're relying on a short passing attack, that's very hard to sustain drives all the way up and down the field with no explosiveness. And teams have started to realize this, and they're just playing very aggressively. Secondaries, they're jumping routes. They're, they're playing their safeties up. 
what the Steelers finally did in the second half is they took some shots down the field. And guess what happens in the NFL when you do that? You get a lot of flags, some phantom, some not, and they actually hit some completions down the field. That's what the Steelers need to do. I don't know if they can find a run game, but you can't just keep relying on short passes. They need to take shots down the field. They need, I mean, a lot, many teams out there need to take more shots, but yeah, their offense is still flawed. That, that's what they're going to have to do. The defense will be good, but they're, they're going to have to hit shots down the field. They're going to have to get some explosiveness. And they have talent on the outside. In the NFC, the NFC East, oof, I mean, it is ugly. You have the Washington football team go out there with Dwayne Haskins and basically do nothing all day against the Panthers. They lose. With their loss, they keep they kept the Eagles alive to potentially win the division. The Eagles go out there, go up 17-3 or 14-3, and then lay an egg. They're, I mean, their cornerback, Jaquette, he had one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life for a corner. I mean, he was a free, undrafted free agent. The Eagles secondary was decimated, but the Cowboys just went bananas. I think Dalton threw from us 400 yards. Gallup went off. Hurts had some questionable throws there but that keeps the Cowboys and the Giants alive for the division so wash depending on what Washington does against a dead Philly team next week if they win they're in if they lose the winner of the Giants or Cowboys game is going to win the division insane your six and ten Giants could win the division elsewhere in the NFC the Rams potential they lose again to the Seahawks Seahawks clinched the division you obviously have the Packers who have clinched the division it's the Saints have clinched the division the Bucks are in what this means now is there's two spots left in the NFC for three teams. You have the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Bears. The Bears take care of business today in Jacksonville. The Cardinals lay an egg on Saturday. The Rams lay an egg today. So what's that mean? The Bears now can get in if they beat the Packers. The problem is because Seattle won, stick with me, the Packers need to win next week for the one seed. So the Bears will have to play a motivated Packers team. The Rams play the Cardinals. If the Cardinals win, then the Cardinals are in. And then if the Bears lose, the Rams are still in. The Bears, the Cardinals could only get in by beating the Rams. If the Cardinals lose, the Rams and the Bears are in. The problem for Bears, the problem for the Bears and Bears fans is that the Rams might have John Wolford as their quarterback next week because Jared Goff has a hurt thumb. John Wolford might be the worst backup in the NFL. I don't know if they can sign someone else this week. I don't know if they can clear COVID protocols or if they'll be able to learn the offense in time. But the backer situation from last year was the funniest I've ever seen. They had, the, they had that quarterback from UConn who had like one touchdown and 10 picks. Somehow he was the backer's backup. They obviously drafted Love now. So that's where the NFC wildcard will be decided. Just it'll be week 17 craziness as always. All right, let's move on to... We'll get to the Monday night football preview later in the show. Let's move on to our college recap. And to do that, we'll let y'all drive the bus. So let's just pull up some voicemails. Obviously only a few games each day. So we don't have a loaded voicemail. I haven't listened to these. I'm hoping that we hear from Triple C Dynasty. Assuming we do. We got three and a half minutes here. Let's go. Bad beats, back doors, and miracle covers. However you're feeling, we want to hear from you. You have reached the voicemail box of the Action Network Podcast. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Let's check this week's messages. Hey, Colin. I just have one question for you. It's Ryan in New Jersey, man. I got to know what the fuck you were thinking betting on Marshall. You took three and a half, and then you took five. Jarrett Patterson's out. The defense isn't the problem. No matter who set out, it doesn't really matter. Have you seen the offense the last two weeks? Did you watch the UAB game? Matter of fact, did you watch the Rice game? You got to be shitting me, dude. Are you pulling this, this shit out of your ass? This is, un- this is unbelievable. I mean, I just don't understand. Merry Christmas, you fucking idiot. Colin. Yeah, I've had a couple more beers. It's Christmas, man. I mean, you still got to be fucking kidding me. Grant Wells, we're really betting on this kid right now. I mean, this is a joke, dude. You guys put however many hours into, you know, capping these games as you do on a weekly basis, and Marshall is the bet that you come out with. I mean, I don't know if you just wanted some action or if you actually looked into the game. I saw your spreadsheet. It looked real cute. I mean, we didn't update it after the opt-outs or anything. Give me a f-ing break, dude. I'll let you respond to that. I mean, I can tell you that I was on Buffalo money line, and that was assuming that Patterson was going to play, Koontz was going to play. 
once they weren't, you took some Marshall. I think that was the right side, and it probably should have covered. I still can't believe Buffalo teased Marshall back as of yet. I know that their kicking sucks, but they, they were 41 or they haven't missed an extra point all year. And then they had to end up sweating a drive at the end. But I don't think you had a bad play with Marshall once that line rose. And then Patterson was out and, and Koontz was out. No, I mean, Patterson was out, right? But, uh, you know, the handicap, I took plus three and a half. And then I took five again when I, you know, caught word that Patterson was going to be out. Could never get it confirmed. But there was a lot of rumors floating around that that was going to happen. But, hey, when you take a plus five and you give up multiple turnovers and the game ends, you know, seven, I'm not – I'm not killing myself over this. I mean, I mean, that game was 10-10 going down to the very end of the final drive. And and I talked about this on the podcast, even though that there were opt-outs on both sides of the ball, uh, especially the Knox kid running the ball for Marshall, his backups were just as elusive and had as many yards after contact. So I don't think it was a bad bet at all. I mean, it was 10-10 till the end, and there was multiple turnovers that got Buffalo to the house. So I'm not going to ever apologize or, or feel like I'm a dumb fuck for taking a bet losing by a couple points against the spread when the turnover ratio was way against me. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk shit on you for other bets and myself on, on some bets, but not – Well, not I mean, we one. should talk about Grant Wells, too, because he's coming back. He was a freshman, and I think what people are, like, thinking, like, did you see them against Rice? Did you see them – yeah, I, well, Grant Wells is a freshman. I mean, he's as baby as baby can be. They had a game November 14th against Middle Tennessee and, and whopped them 42-14, to 14, and then they had to sit for three weeks. And if you're a quarterback, a freshman quarterback, and you sit for three weeks, he threw five interceptions against Rice. And then he didn't play again for another 13 days, and and he had a bad game against UAB. But after he went 0 for 10 against UAB, he finished 8 of 13. And what happened to Grant Wells yesterday, or I'm sorry, in the bowl game when he came out? He looked great. He looked fine uh, to start off the game. So I I really think that extra time off was what affected Grant Wells, especially that five INT game against Rice. So, I mean, he's a quarterback I'll be looking to back in Conference USA play. Conference USA teams – it's just, I don't know, 0-6 on the bowl season. Terrible. Hard. But guess who covered? Meet me. You know, you guys have been saying all f***ing year long that there's not a coach in college football that just takes a knee anymore. Well, I guess Kalani Taki is the only coach that knows how to take a knee. You know, it, it's unbelievable that I can get this riled up on a Tuesday night. Well, I guess that's just the beauty of bowl season. But UCS, what the f***? Like, Josh Heupel, are you f***ing kidding me? You're down 35 points or whatever it is in the first half. You got you got the ball down at the inside the BYU 20, and you kick a field goal? You kick a field goal when you know your defense can't stop anybody. I cannot believe some of these kids on UCF on, on defense have got scholarships to play. It's, like, ridiculous. Oh, my God. What a pathetic effort. And here I am, Mitchell. Where's the clown noise? Because I'm a fucking idiot who bet the money line too. Unreal. I, I can't get every play into the app. If I Sometimes if I'm doing something and I bet something and I'm driving or something, and then if the line moves, I, I don't want to put it in the app. A play that I had that wasn't in the app, I had over 72, and it closed 80, and it landed 72 because UCF went for two, and I actually was like, I fine. Look, they were going to try to cut it to 24. Ugh, I roll. And then BYU goes down the field. And then UCF calls a timeout for some reason. And then BYU decides during the timeout they're going to take knees. I feel so bad that anyone had the over there. The thing is, that over that total opened at 67. You want to talk about a bad opener? <laughs> yeah. Closed 80. Um, so I ended up pushing. But, yeah, I'm surprised. That you, I mean, credit to BYU. I'm surprised UCF couldn't do more on offense. Credit to BYU, but more importantly, let's uh, put discredit on, on on Josh Heupel. And by the way, just as, as a side note, the reason why we love Coastal Carolina is because they'll play BYU on the fly. A team like UCF was offered a two-for-one with Florida, and they turned it down. That's why we're always going to love Coastal Carolina. If you look at Central Florida in this game, 0% in explosive drives. Now, the national average is like 12%, so if you have like – you know, 10 or 11 possessions, you should have two explosive drives. An explosive drive is where you average more than 10 yards per play the entire drive. UCF had zero. Zero. BYU, on the other hand, 41% explosive drives. They average 10 yards per play in standard downs. You're never in passing downs because you average 10 yards per play in standard downs. BYU ran through this defense like there was tomorrow. Josh Heupel's decision to kick a field goal and not try to get more points on it. I think Heupel really needs to be 
on the watch list for the hot seat next year. I haven't had a chance to see Central Florida's schedule going into next year, knowing that they've already dodged University of Florida. But uh, I, this is not going in the right direction whatsoever. They backed out of a, a, having a two-for-one deal with the University of Florida. You could have had the Gators come to your home turf and you turned it down. The decision by Heupel to kick a field goal, uh, asinine. And I think they're a team that we were going to want to fade next year. Uh, Heupel might not be the guy for this job. All right, moving on. Well, I just snuck away from the family Christmas. And uh, Sucky, fuck you for that Georgia State under. But boys, meep, 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 meep. Meep, 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 meep. Uh, yeah, me, me, I was really proud of our Roadrunners. Bad call on Georgia State under. Frustrating way to lose it at the end. But uh, Utah, look, this is just going to happen in 2020 with COVID. Uh, you, UTSA ended up having a bunch of guys out. And one of the things that you see where that – it was a lot of depth guys. Their special teams, which are normally really good, like their returners, their blockers on the on this, but we're, it was just really bad. But they forced a fumble that kind of swung the momentum in the second half. And credit Frank Harris for some of the throws he made, and uh, credit Louisiana and Billy, Billy Napier for taking knees at the end <laughs> and uh, making sure that Meet Meet covered every number. After we got our second half over, of course, right? I mean, yes. I'm sure if we had got that score, we'd have been screaming out of them. But thank you, Billy Napier, for taking knees there, for letting uh, all the masses of Meet Meep folks. Uh, I'm glad we got that cover. Uh, too bad we couldn't get the outright win for our guys. Uh, I, Sincere McCormick and Frank Harris were putting on a show all day. Great job by Jeff Trailer. He wasn't there out due to COVID as, as a head coach. They had a fantastic season. Uh, and you know what? My uh, Barry Lunny Jr. as the interim coach. Now, if you guys don't know, he's an Arkansas boy. He, uh, his dad is the uh, high school coach of where I graduated at Bentonville, Arkansas. But he was 2-0 against the spread as the interim head coach at Arkansas after Chad Morris got fired. Now you can make Barry Lunny Jr. 3-0 in his lifetime against the spread as an interim head coach. But Trailer will be back next year. UTSA is on the right track. And I can't wait to see what kind of odds we get on them next year uh, for conference. All right, let's close it up here with hopefully some Triple C Nation. Yeah. You know what it is. Kaka. Kaka. Sean's they come to an end. Fantastic season. Fantastic finish. Entertaining for the boys. Entertaining for the fans. A lot of lopsided calls, but you know what? That's how, that's how it is. It's the f***ing best season we could possibly have. The Triple C Dynasty still rolls on in the next season, baby. We showed them what it was all about. Roll shots. I'm calling in with the most ever disappointed. Kaka, Kaka, you know, you want to talk about a bandwagon fan that was full on this train for a while. You're looking right at him. I even went out, I bought the shirt. Big Triple C Nation, big Triple C fan, been telling everybody about Coastal Carolina. My heart is broken, and I really do feel bad for the true native of Conway, South Carolina. But I will continue to wear this shirt with pride. I will continue to root for the Triple C Nation, the Triple C Dynasty. I believe in it. As always, roll chance, baby. Yeah, that was the game of the weekend. I still, I thought I was going to middle it. I had Coastal money line and uh, to close out some parlays, and I had Liberty plus seven, and Liberty can't take a knee correctly. I mean, just take a knee. They hand it off instead, and the guy doesn't know if he's going or not, then the offensive lineman pushes him. If you're going to run out the clock, you don't have to hand it off. He fumbles it. Coastal gets it. We go to overtime, and Coastal gets a field goal blocked in overtime, and Liberty pulls out a thriller. Thoughts on that game? Yeah, well, first off, Coastal, that's not going away. Jamie Chadwell is there next year. Grayson McCall is coming back. Uh, highly likely should be back next year. But it's got to be the greatest duo tandem on an offensive field. If there's something we can investigate in the offseason with Coastal Carolina, it's that they can shore up some of their rush defense. I knew – at some point, it was going to bite them, and I thought the Malik Willis uh, zone read RPOs would be a big problem, and it was. Uh, I, I was sad. I, I was with you, too. I thought Coastal was going to come back and get the win outright, and I was hedging my Liberty plus seven. But I'm telling you, that that game was exciting, and I am excited for, for Coastal and the Sun Belt. I think it had all these players back next year. If a book puts out a really bad number sometime in, in uh, March, April, May, you guys will be the first ones to know about it on the Action app.
Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, one last caw for 2020. Um, all right, let's get to some of the bowls this week, which is why I know a lot of you are here. We will start on Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern on ESPN at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. We have Oklahoma State against Miami. This is the only bowl of two ranked teams outside of the New York Six Bowls and obviously the college football playoff. This is... Yeah, an interesting game for me, like trying to cap motivation, which I think does matter more so with these teams, the power five teams, this particular matchup. It's like, do either of these teams want to be there and the other doesn't in that case, I think that might end up deciding the game. If they both want to show up or they both don't show up, we can look at some of the matchups, but I do want to focus on motivation. The first thing I'll say, which is crazy is Miami has won one bowl game. Since 2006, they're one and nine in bowls. I mean, crazy. Now, one of the things, if you look at from an opt-out perspective, I do think that there's positive signs for Miami, although Phillips and Roche, they're two best edge rushers. By the way, Jalen Phillips, who transferred from UCLA, was maybe a five-star bust. It went bonkers this year and made himself a ton of money. So both their top edge rushers are out. And that is, to me, it's such a huge cap to this game because Oklahoma State's offense – Chuba Hubbard has opted out, uh, you know, a couple weeks back. Just but in general, their offense has not been the same, and it's because their offensive line has been a mess all year. Different rotations week to week. And they even had Jenkins, their best offensive lineman, he opted out about a month ago. So can Miami, you know, with Phillips and Roche, I thought Miami was going to be in the backfield all day, and they were going to be able to take advantage of this Oklahoma State offensive line. Now you're going to have a bunch of backups. You have a Miami team that just got embarrassed their last time out, gave up almost 800 yards of offense to UNC. The Oklahoma State offense is nowhere close to UNC this year. It's because of that offensive line. Can Miami take advantage? I do like that you're not hearing about a lot of other opt-outs on Miami. De'Ara King said he's coming back. Positive signs. Does this team have enough pride to kind of show up after what we saw last year when they got shut out in an embarrassing effort against Louisiana Tech in their bowl. That's the question for me at BetMGM. Right now, the Oklahoma State is two-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 58-and-a-half. I can tell you on the surface, I made this Miami a slight favorite. Now, I have to go in and adjust for opt-outs. I'm waiting as long as possible, so who knows? I mean, you even had Florida Atlantic has all their best players decide to opt-out an hour before a kick. But I do think that the two defensive ends, it's a big loss for Miami. How do you see this game playing out? Yeah, this is uh, this one was a tough one for me because there are certain things within the team for Miami that say take them. There's a lot of history that says don't take them. Miami's on a three-bowl game losing streak. Hurricanes have covered just two of the past 12 bowl games. That would be the 2016 West Virginia game and the 2008 Cal game. And, I mean, Manny Diaz is a part of that, just completely unprepared in these bowl games. You go to the other side of Gundy, and Oklahoma State's covered four straight bowl games. Seven of the last ten bowl games they have covered in the, uh, over the last decade, since 2010. And, you know, I kind of project this game Miami minus two. So is the Oklahoma State number inflated? We know that Oklahoma State is without Chuba Hubbard, have been for a while. Their offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins, won't be there. Uh, Tylen Wallace, I believe, was upgraded to probable today, so that's good news. But, you know, Stuck mentioned Miami's opt-outs of Phillips and Roche. Uh, those defensive ends were a monster part of this defense. When I say monster, uh, they led the team in quarterback hurries by far. They combined for 54 quarterback hurries on the team, and the next player on the list was at eleven. They're going to start two redshirt freshmen on defensive ends, and that plays into the hands of Oklahoma State. Because if you look at what Oklahoma State does offensively, they stretch the field. They go sideline to sideline. They like to run a lot of crossing routes. They like to get people in the backfield moving. 
so I, I, you know, I think what's going on is Miami's not going to be able to expose the offensive line for Oklahoma State, and those defensive ends missing is is, is a really big loss, bigger than just reading. Oh, hey, there's an opt out. Uh, both defenses are heavy in defensive havoc. Uh, Oklahoma State, their strength of schedule was you know 32nd. They're much better at controlling the trench and in defending the pass. If you look at them, their line yards were 18th. Their pass coverage was 10th. And, and you know, Oklahoma State, I just think that they have a huge advantage without those defensive ends on the side to contain Spencer Sanders or anything else that's going to happen offensively. De'Ara King coming back is a huge confidence boost. That's a really big thing for Miami. Uh, you know, the offensive line has got to get better for him next year. This year, they were 98th in, in sack rate on the offensive line. De'Ara King was sacked 26 times. Uh, but I think they're going to find success here. And the reason is because I went back to see some of Oklahoma State's games. When did they face a dual-threat quarterback? A few weeks ago, they just played, they played Max Duggan at TCU. 265 yards, a throwing TD, 104 on the ground, two TDs, Horned Frogs beat, beat the Pokes. That Oklahoma State defense had problems with a dual-threat quarterback all day. I want Miami. I prefer a three. Uh, I think I have them projected to win the game at minus two. I think both offenses are going to score a lot. When the defensive ends for Miami opted out of this game, that was only good for Oklahoma State's offense. So as much as I project this game at 57 and a half, it's sitting at 58. I think it's going to go over because Oklahoma State's not going to have enough pressure. They're going to stretch the field. And De'Ara King is going to play dual threat role and do what Max Duggan did to the Pokes. Uh, and put up, you know, a lot of yards, a lot of points, and a lot of explosive plays. So I might wait to see if I can get this to drop to maybe a key of 57. I want to take an over here, and I want to back Miami. The Miami might come live. The 57 over probably come pregame. It's very difficult for me to quantify how much of a loss they are, that cluster loss at defensive end. It just would have been such a huge impact. And if you look, I have to do give credit to Oklahoma State's defense as well. That's been the strength of their team all year. By some metrics, it's been a top 10, top 15 unit. And if you look at the advanced stats here, both defensive fronts have the advantage. But now, now Miami, you're taking away both their two best edge rushers. Um, still, I can't envision myself moving this line at three, four, five points because of the defensive ends being out. Right. So I agree with you. The play here for me is I'm waiting on a Miami three. I wanted to be the one to pass along this information. We'll win. We'll get it done. All right, let's move to Tuesday night after Miami-Oklahoma State in the Cheez-It Bowl. Man, we've had some – remember that TCU Cheez-It Bowl? Was that TCU? (laughs) TCU Uh, Yeah, it was like 3-0. The Valero-Alamo Bowl, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, between Texas and Colorado. At BetMGM, Texas is a nine-point favorite, over under 62-and-a-half. I can tell you with this – and I'm going to have to do a final adjustment on Texas. If you follow our power ratings and projections on the action network app and ActionNetwork.com. I, I, I can tell you first with Colorado, I, they had a pretty good year, right? And especially for a first time coach in a COVID year, you know, but they, they beat UCLA 48, 42. They beat Stanford 35, 32. They beat your San Diego state all, offense 20 to 10, <laughs> They beat Arizona with the, you know, an Arizona's quarterback out there, and then they got drilled by Utah. So it's like, I, I, I don't know how great of a sample we really do have on Colorado, and their defense did look questionable at times. But what this comes down to, to me, and this is the quintessential bowl motivation game. I mean, I guess you could say that it's Sam Ellinger's last game. Potentially, he could come back this year, doesn't count. But this Texas team had high hopes. There were people that were talking about going to the college football playoff, big 12 championship. Uh, you know, now you're playing in the Alamo bowl against Colorado. Uh, not sure if they show up first time coach for Colorado. I'm sure that this game probably means a lot to them playing Texas recruiting Texas. Uh, I, it's hard for me to see Texas really caring about this game, especially once you hear about the opt outs, not a great sign. A lot of rumors going around. People, kids aren't happy. Uh, so why don't you start there with the Texas opt-outs and uh, <laughs> let me know how you see this game playing out. Yeah, well, the Action Network, we created a landing page for your opt-outs for each bowl game. And I just don't think we have enough space for what's going on with Texas. So Texas is going to be without Joseph Asai, Taquan Graham, Chris Brown, Caden Stearns, Keontae Ingram, 
And that was all on defense. Count to Ingram, wide receiver Brandon Eagles. Uh, on offense, senior center Derek uh, Kerstetter injured at K-State. He won't be in this game. Then the announcement came from what I read, uh, I want to say two days ago, uh, COVID is going through the team pretty heavy. And those announcements, those players that are going to be out will not be announced until the morning of the game. That I haven't even named everybody. Like, there's three defensive players that could also miss with injury. B.J. Foster, Jalen Green, Jadia Barron. You know, it's, it's ground zero for Longhorns on the defensive side of the ball. And we don't even know who the COVID sitouts are going to be. So, you know, seeing all that, I thought to myself, well, you got to play Colorado immediately because once more of this news comes out and it becomes more mainstream and people pay attention to this bowl, it's got to come down even farther. But – I I can't even get over like Joseph aside missing on defense is the biggest name out there. He's the one that creates everything. When you see a havoc number attached to Texas, when you see line yards attached to Texas, that all comes from Joseph aside. So, uh, you know, when I, when I look at Tom Herman, when he's favored by seven and a half or more in his career as a coach, uh, seven, 12 and one against the spread, he is not a very good coach when he's favored by this much. And, you know, let's take a look at the last two bowl games for Texas, unmotivated teams. Utah comes off a Pac-12 championship game loss with opt-outs on the team. Texas wins. Rah, rah, Herman. 2018, Georgia, tons of opt-outs. Didn't win the SEC championship. Didn't make it into the college football playoff. Rah, rah, Herman wins. And Bevo's trying to chase Uga down the field. So, and if you look at, you know, you flip the script and you look at Colorado with their new head coach, they haven't won a bowl game since 2004 against UTEP. Uh, the Buffaloes are extremely excited uh, to be in this bowl game. Only three players on this roster have ever played in a bowl. So, you know, Neuer and his stable of backs, I think they're going to be able to take advantage of Texas' defensive ends, whoever it's going to be. I don't know where they're going to grab these people from. Uh, the defensive depth is a real problem for Texas. I think it may take Elliger now that, you know, his top wide receiver, Brendan Eagles, is out. It may take Elliger a quarter or two before he clicks with his new running backs and wide receivers. I think Colorado's the bet, and I might throw a Colorado money line first half in there for fun because there's more news to come from Texas, and it's none, none of it's positive. We are not in a point in our program where we can not play our best and expect to win. Um, it's, it's not going to happen. I just took some Colorado walks up to 10 it's bad and then I have questions about the motivation is on top of that uh whereas I'm pretty confident that Colorado will care here so I still there's a lot of unknowns to me about Colorado based on like a yeah. small Pac-12 schedule but this line should come down I mean Texas and I don't I'm not sure Texas cares or shows up and we've said that before like we we had questions about Colorado's validity and and we didn't think that that was real but I read some sort of stat. I don't know if you saw this stuff. It's like if you just chase steam and bowl so far, it's like 13 and two against the spread, some crazy number like that. So, I mean, there, it, it, don't fade. Uh, obviously, the theme of the bowl. Well, a lot of it is also inside. Like people get info before it gets released. Right. You know, the, a line moves before it gets announced, and then there's late announcements, and then the, the line has already moved on players being out, which is why sometimes this bowl season, if there is a bunch of late movement and it – puts a team in range like you know an hour or two before kick or a day I'm like I'm, I'm hesitant I'm like I'm not gonna buy it yet uh even though I like this team because there could be news I don't know about that's just some of the shit you have to deal with in 2020 yep um all right let's move on yeah I agree it's, it's Colorado or nothing there and that line should come down as more news comes out and make sure you do check out that landing page on actionnetwork.com well let me back up uh, that, that's a, a really upset and dejected locker room I mean we had guys in tears that means we're headed in the right direction. All right, let's move to December 30th. And we have two bowls, starting with the Duke's Mayo Bowl at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. Noon Eastern on ESPN. Wake Forest versus Wisconsin. Wisconsin at BetMG is a seven-point favorite, over under 51 and a half. I mean, Wake Forest is a fraud. I, I've been screaming it all year. They've also had a couple key opt-outs. This team has benefited from some of the most extreme turnover luck I've seen in years. You know, some of that kind of – some of that imminent regression happened against Louisville. A decimated Louisville team beat them 45-21 to 21 in Wake Forest's finale, regular season finale, which was, I believe, on December 12th. So Wake Forest catching seven here. The problem is if you want to fade Wake, which I was looking to do – is you have to lay seven with Wisconsin. That's not necessarily the most appetizing 
think I've ever seen. We saw them lay 11 and a half against Minnesota and uh, need a field goal in overtime to win that game. I mean, Graham Mertz has looked so bad. The defense is really good. It projects out really good. All of their underlying metrics are really good. But can you really lay seven with Graham Mertz in that offense? That's ultimately the question. What do you see here in the Dukes Mayo Bowl between Wake Forest and Wisconsin? And not to mention that Wake Forest is top 25 uh, in pass coverage per PFF. So Graham Mertz doesn't get a free pass here in the bowl game. And, yeah, I thought the same thing you did when I saw Wisconsin minus seven is this team just continues to burn me on these spreads. And they, the problem is they don't have any juice. Uh, and I think that might be the problem on both sides of the ball. So we'll start with Wake. Wake is out there running back Kenneth Walker. Uh, defensive end Carlos Basham is out. Both are pretty big losses. Uh, even, you know, I, this isn't really home field advantage, but it's really an only an hour and 15-minute bus ride for the Deeks to get down there. But the Wisconsin depth chart is going to include, according to Paul Chris, running back Jalen Berger, left tackle Cole Van Lannen, wide receiver Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor. All these players miss the Minnesota non-cover which would have helped in the handicap there. Uh, the Big Ten changed the COVID sit-out rules. I think it went from 21 to 17 days, so these players are going to be eligible to play in this game. And, you know, Wake was not very good against the run. They were 110th in tackling. They were 93rd in defensive rushing success rate, 115th in defensive power success. They, they can't stop anything in the holes. So Jalen Berger, who we've been expecting to get a bigger workload for Wisconsin because he is elusive and can't avoid tackles, uh, he may have a big game if he gets more handoffs and there's no Carlos Basham there to play defensive end and just wreck Wisconsin. So that is a plus uh, for Wisconsin here. But Kenneth Walker, you know, he was more explosive than his backup, Christian Beal Smith. I don't say backup. They kind of, you know, had both had time. If you, if you look at their yards after carry, I mean, Kenneth Walker had nine more uh, avoided tackles uh, with two less attempts than Beal Smith. So uh, I don't really think Kenneth Walker sitting out is, you know, that big of a, you know, that that big of a deal. I just think that Wake Forest doesn't have the explosiveness that they had before, uh, and Wisconsin hasn't had it all season. So you look at the Wisconsin defense, they have played well, top 10 in defensive line yards. Uh, Wake runs the ball 57% of the time. That's their offense. It's all RPO. Uh, you know, Wisconsin is fourth in defensive finishing drives. The reason why I like the under in this game is because of this key stat. Wisconsin is fourth. It's a snail versus speed racer, by the way. Yeah, they are very yeah. yeah, Wisconsin's 122nd in seconds per play. Uh, but their defense is fourth in the nation in defensive finishing drive. So if Wake's going to cross that 40, they're going to have a hell of a time getting some points up on the board. Uh, but if you look on the offensive side of the ball for Wisconsin, they're 122nd in offensive finishing drives. Uh, so really, I see a problem getting points on the board. Maybe there's field goals. Uh, but I like the under 52 here, you know, and like I said, to start everything off, Mertz is going against a top 25 pass coverage unit. Uh, both of these offenses lack explosiveness. Uh, Wisconsin's had four straight non-covers and four straight unders, and I think that's the recipe here. By, by the way, we'll have write-ups for all these games, so make sure that you check them out on Action Network. Under seven, I lean Wisconsin, but I just don't know if I could bring myself to laying it. I just wake team is just not good. I mean, just across the board, their defense is terrible. Hardman can hit some explosive plays, but they, I, they're going to get sacked a ton by Wisconsin. I, I feel like, and it's it's just bad. They benefited from so much turnover luck, and that is it's the regression monster looms there. The NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. Um, all right, let's move on to Wednesday night, and we have the Goodyear Cotton Bowl at AT&T Stadium, 
Jerry World in Arlington, Texas, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We got a good one here. Oklahoma against Florida. Florida, three at Bet MGM, a three-point favorite over under 71 and a half. We got a high one here. I can tell you that Oklahoma's star cornerback has opted out. He's made, I think, a, uh, like the game-winning play in the Big 12 championship like each of the past three years. Pretty wild. It do, and, you know, they had, like, Pledger, their running back, and Mordecai, their quarterback, also opted out. But it looks like everyone else is going to play. Like, even Creed Humphrey is going to be, like, a top-10 pick at center. Uh, they have some first-round talent over the place. It looks like everyone in Oklahoma is going to play. With Florida, Kyle Pitts is out. That's enormous. Uh, just an enormous loss, obviously. One of the best receivers in the country, even though he's a tight end. And Kyle Trask has announced he is going to play, but maybe he will decide to sit out. Uh I there's still maybe a slight chance that happens. And then Dan Mullen has hinted that there's a chance we could see a few more. Um, and there's been a couple defensive backs that have opted out for Florida. So I, I, from an opt-out perspective and a care perspective, I think Oklahoma's in better shape here. And if you look at where these two teams have gone, both these teams had high expectations, national championship coming into the year. But if you've looked where – I think these teams are just headed in opposite directions. Florida started out really well. They still had hope for the college football playoff. And then, you know, then they drop that game to LSU, uh, you know, then they, they lose that game to Bama. And meanwhile, Oklahoma, you know, they, they lost to Kansas state earlier. They lost to Iowa state. They started off one and two. And since then they've really come on. Spencer Rattler, I think has really developed. I mean, his, his numbers are awesome, especially under pressure, but where he's really improved is he's, he's limiting his turnovers. And that's what really killed them early in the year, late he would throw key picks, and he's getting smarter about his throws. Also, Oklahoma has, you know, Stevenson back at running back now. They have Mims at receiver. You know, Hayes went back at receiver. So they're, they have their full complement of weapons now who are all going to play. Their defense has been unbelievably good compared to Oklahoma standards, uh, and it's been really good once they kind of got all of their pieces back kind of after the Texas game. There's some talent on the defense. They really bring it. It's an aggressive defense under Alex Grinch, who's just – he wants to force turnovers, and he wants to bring pressure, and they're very good at doing that. They're a little susceptible to explosive runs, that aggressive defense. But, I, you know, when I look at this Florida team, that's that's not this Florida team at all. And I'm sure you're going to point that out. If you look at Collins' chart, uh, Oklahoma's 119th in rush explosiveness on defense. Florida offense, 110th. So this Oklahoma defense matches up really well, I think, with the Florida offense. Look, Kyle Trask, even without Pitts, he's going to get his own. But he's going to put up – he's going to get his numbers. But I think that Oklahoma can get some stops here, can get some pressure, put Florida behind the sticks. And this Florida defense has been really bad all year. The one thing they do is they def- they don't give up big runs, but that's not really what Oklahoma does. So, you know, I think that this game should be closer to a pick – and when I look at motivation, when I look at more potential opt-outs coming for Florida, now they could come from Oklahoma. Look, I thought that all signs pointed towards Patterson was playing for Buffalo. So you never really know. But as of right now, I think all signs point to Oklahoma as the player. I took the three. Yeah, I saw you take a full game three, and I, I was going to hop on and do the same. And then I started to remember the script of playing Oklahoma games. So, you know, both teams – have allowed players. And the reason why I'm going to wait a while on this before I make a full game decision, I know I've already put a play in the action app. Both teams are sending players home for Christmas. So we don't know game day, what kind of COVID issues there's going to be. You mentioned Trask. We don't know if Trask is going to make a lot, you know, Canaries, Tony. I mean, there, there could be some other key names here that decide that they're not going to play in this game. Uh, obviously Pitts has already opted out, you know, Trey Brown's opted out. TJ Pledger running back has opted out. Um, you know, and, and I think, OU's defense is definitely going to get to Trask. Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, Perry and Winfrey, Ronnie Perkins, they combined for 100 quarterback hurries this season. OU, under the Alex Grinch, year two, reclamation, reclaim project, uh, the Sooners are getting to the quarterback, and, and, and that's great. But there is a script with Oklahoma. Oklahoma scoring differential in the first half is plus 17.2. Oklahoma's scoring differential in the second half is plus 1.9. It's one of the biggest gaps in all of college football. And they have a negative point differential in the fourth quarter this season. 
And so when you go a little bit further deep into that, Spencer Rattler's plays are all scripted early in the game, like through the entire first half. And once it becomes off script, it gets really bad in his efficiency. And it's been that way all season. Uh, I was more than happy to go to the action app and take OU first half, Uh, whether you want to do money line or get the one and a half or whatever's out there is available. I have confidence that OU is going to be leading this game, especially maybe Trask does opt out. Maybe we don't have a Kadarius Tony. I don't know, but the defense is going to be solid for OU and they have been one of the more solid teams in the first half all season. Um, you know, Riley may opt to run the ball down the Gators' throat. I mean, if he wants to, he can. I mean, Florida's 92nd in defensive rushing success rate. They're 91st in tackling. The best way to maybe keep Florida's offense off the field is to run the ball. Uh, maybe keep them out of sync is not let them have so many possessions. Uh, I know Pitts is not there. Uh, that means a lot to that offense. It really showed up against – you could call LSU a flat spot because they had overlooked Alabama, but, <clears throat> you know, Trask didn't have pits against Arkansas and, and rang them up for a 50-burger. So I'm uh, not, not saying Arkansas's defense is worth anything. But, you know, Trask has done this in two games this season without pits. So at least it's not going to be completely unfamiliar for him. I just can't get over the point differential for OU between the first and the second half. And the fact that they have a negative fourth quarter point differential on the season scares me taking them full game. I would rather go OU first half. Maybe I will consider a first half under if Lincoln Riley wants to keep their offense off the field and expose Florida on third downs and running the ball. But for me right now, as we record, I have money on Oklahoma first half. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. And Lincoln Riley was actually asked about that this week in some of the interviews leading up to this game. Uh, Because if you think back to Oklahoma, one of the criticisms of Lincoln Riley – from Oklahoma fans and, and media as he gets too conservative with a big lead and doesn't keep his foot on the pedal. And let's think back to like the, the Iowa state game last year. Remember that they were up like 34, seven. They had a hold on to win by three. Yeah. Blew that big lead to Kansas state. Iowa state that had meant a few times over the years, they've done this before. So I'll be curious to see does Riley's, get more aggressive now, but it seems to me that once they get a big lead, they go pretty conservative. So yeah, I mean, Florida, even without pits, if everyone plays, does have the firepower to come back. So maybe I'll join you on adding some uh, boomer sooner first half, but I definitely like them for the full game too. I think it should be a coin flip. So I'll gladly take three. And I might even think that Oklahoma should be favored if there's a few other key players from Florida that opt out. Um, All right, let's move on here to new year's Eve. We start out with the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl between Tulsa and Mississippi State. And this is uh, in Fort Worth, Texas at noon on ESPN at BetMGM. Tulsa's a two-and-a-half-point favorite over under 48-and-a-half. I will say that Mississippi State, they had a clunker against Auburn. But over you know their, their last three or four games, the offense looked a lot better once they changed to Will Rogers, a quarterback, which I was screaming for. He's just comfortable in front of the offense. He did it in high school. The air raid is just different. KJ Costello, never comfortable doing it. When I look at the Tulsa defense, though, what do they play? 3-3-5. Three, three, they can have three down linemen, drop eight. They play a lot of these spread attacks. They're kind of built to stop a team like Mississippi State, but Tulsa's missing their best player, maybe the – the best linebacker in all of college football and Collins who opted out, which is a huge loss. On the other side of the ball, I don't know if Tulsa's offense, I mean, look, they did some good things against Cincinnati, but this offense all year did nothing all year in the first half. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, they, they went four straight games averaging four points per first half leading up to their ASC championship against Cincinnati. And, you know, then they relied on a lot of explosive plays late. They had a ton of big comebacks does Mississippi State want to be here? I I, I don't know. Uh, does Tulsa have a letdown after the Cincy? This game is a hard for me to get a read on. I'm digging deep into it. I'm doing a write-up for this game. So make sure you check that out on ActionNetwork.com, the Action Network app. For all of my updated and condensed thoughts after going through this game even some more over the next few days, but curious to get your thoughts here. Well, I took Mississippi State plus three once the Zayvon Collins news came out because he was such a big part of the defense. Uh, you know, he was, you know, leader in sacks with four. He doubled anybody else's hurries at 25. Uh, he was third on the team in tackles. 
And Tulsa was sixth in pass coverage in the nation with a strength of schedule of 66th. And if you want to beat Mississippi State and you want to beat an air raid offense, you need to run a 3-3-5. And Tulsa runs a 3-3-5 on 75% of downs. They run a 3-4 uh, on 20, the other 25% of downs. So they can defend the air raid. And they did play SMU earlier this year who was running the Sunny Dykes, Mike Leach protege air raid. And they had just 200 passing yards on 36 attempts against Tulsa. And they never scored in the second half. So Tulsa is not – fresh in preparing for air raid they saw it out of smu and they shut it down in the second half and only allowed 200 passing yards problem is is they're missing their leader on defense mississippi state had 51 points and a win over mizzou uh after losing six of seven their quarterback will rogers went for 295 and three tds and their wide receiver wally had 129 yards on just five catches so they've Listen, I mean, either it's an air raid, and if you haven't got it figured out and you're not, you know, rushing three and dropping eight, you're going to get exposed. And Mississippi State doesn't have great numbers on defense, but their strength of schedule is fifth in the nation, a huge contrast to what Tulsa's had to deal with this year. So I think they're going to prevent Tulsa explosive runs. Tulsa excels in passing downs explosiveness. We talked about this before about Tulsa's only offense is when they're third and 15 and they just – make shit happen. I mean, that just seems to be the only time Tulsa gets points up. Mississippi State, the key stat for that, if Tulsa's just going to only do things on passing downs and they have passing downs explosiveness, Mississippi State defensively, they're just 51st in passing down success rate and they're 77th in passing downs explosiveness on defense. So they can give up a big play. I expect Tulsa to be able to do something when they're, you know, third and 20 and the like. I took Mississippi State plus three. I'm not sure how comfortable I am with it I was pretty confident when David Collins was out because you know he's the biggest player on the defense but the fact that they have some very good safeties uh they have a lot of guys in the secondary that have you know some good pass breakups on the season uh and the fact that they've seen the air raid and kind of shut it down in the second half on SMU makes me a little nervous about this play so there could be an in game could be a live hedge on this maybe see how it starts out maybe try to get three on Tulsa on the other you know on the other side uh, Tulsa, I think, can absolutely hang against the air raid, but, you know, Collins is the reason that I made this bet. All right, let's move on to the Arizona ball. Ball State at BetMGM, 10-point underdogs, over under 64-and-a-half against San Jose State. There's a chance, by the way, the Arizona ball. This is 2 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network, Tucson, Arizona. There's a chance, they say Clemson wins it all, that San Jose State ends up as the only undefeated team in college football. Chance. Ball State, I – Show a lot of value on them here. I'm always way higher than them in the market. I will be playing them plus 10. They don't give up a lot of explosive plays. That's one of the things they've done well this year, and that's what San Jose State lives on. Now, the San Jose State defense, I mean, some of their numbers, they just surprise me. Like, I don't understand how the San Jose State defense has been so good in, in certain categories. Number one in finishing drives, I think there's some regression coming in that department. Um, but, yeah, I mean, passing explosiveness, that's what San Jose State does, and that's what Ball State takes away. I think it's a ton of value on my Ball State boys. You know I'll be on them here. What do you think? Yeah, and I by the number alone, by the projection, I should absolutely be playing Ball State. And so, you know, you do a little bit more of a deep dive on this. Uh, Ball State's tempo is top 10 in the nation, and San Jose State has faced a schedule full of snails. Uh, I mean, you look at everybody in the Mountain West that they play, they're extremely slow. The fastest offense they played is Hawaii at 26. But other than that, everybody that's been outside the top 50 in tempo – Ball State should have success running the ball, and Drew Plitt's 20th in passing success rate. The problem is their offensive line. Their offensive line is 108th, and that is a max schedule. The problem is their offensive line is 108th in sack rate, uh, and that's going to be you know big for defensive end Cade Hall for San Jose State, who has 10 sacks on the season, and he should be able to abuse that MAC offensive line. So that is a problem for Ball State offensively. Starkle should be able to pass all day. Ball State's 121st in defensive passing success rate. The offensive line has kept Starkle clean all season. They're seventh in sack rate allowed on the offensive line. So expect San Jose State to be able to move the ball. I think the number is way too high. The Ball State offensive line worries me a little bit. If they weren't able to protect Drew Plitt during MAC play, I think the San Jose State defensive line is going to be able to wreak havoc on this Ball State offense. So, you know, also we you, you mentioned the, the defensive finishing drives, ranking first in the nation. Uh, you know, I think Starkle's going to be able to hit passes all day. I, I can't make it 10, though. I think 10 is extremely too high on this. 
I'm happy to sit back and let people buy into the fact that San Jose State's going for an undefeated season and this is just old ball state who, uh, you know, uh, Patterson got hurt and that's the reason they won the Mac, which is not true. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm willing to see this rise a little bit and maybe take a little bit out on ball state, but, uh, you know, they, their offensive line has got to be able to protect the quarterback and they have got to do something, uh, with San Jose state's defensive end Kate Hall. Yeah. The only thing that's scary is it's ball state in the short Mac season. So it's like, you know, some of their stats and what we've seen against some of the bad Mac teams, you, you get a little worried, but I, I think that ball state, We'll be able to move the ball. And there's some regression coming from the San Jose State defense, in my opinion. Yeah, too much, too many points here. There are, I, there are some concerning things for Ball State, but just way too much value for me to pass up. Assuming there's no opt-outs out there that I don't know about, obviously I'll be scouring the internet for those. <laughs> All right, uh, lastly, let's get to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN on New Year's Eve. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. West Virginia against Army. At BetMGM, West Virginia's a seven-point favorite, over under 41-and-a-half. Sometimes you guess at motivation. Uh, I don't need to guess with service academy teams. I know they're going to show up. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. They always do. I think historically, I'll write up for this game, they're about 70% against the spread of the last 35 years in bowl games. Service academy Always going to show up no matter what, no matter where the game is, what the circumstances, but especially when you're talking about Army this year. I mean, Jeff Munkin, their head coach, was saying that they had, there were tears in the kids' eyes when it was announced that they're going to go to a bowl. Is West Virginia excited to play Army? I don't know. I know that they don't, they don't have as much time to prepare for the triple option as you normally would in a bowl game, finding out about this game last week. I also know that two of their better defensive players have – opted out along their front seven. That's not an ideal situation going up against Army's triple option. I took Army plus seven and a half. There's no way I'm not taking Army in a touchdown here when I know that they'll show up in a game that has a total of 41 and a half. Agree? Yeah, I agree. No one's going to be more fired up than Army. Uh, the West Virginia defense, though, that uh, this has really been a tough, tough handicap for me because the West Virginia defense has been great against the run. They're top 30 and line yard stuff rate, rushing success rate, tackling. Uh, their co-defensive coordinators have done a fabulous job this year, but they haven't seen the triple since they played Georgia Southern during their Troy days under Neil Brown. So it's been a while, uh, and it's definitely something new for these defenders here. Uh, the Stills brothers can plug holes for the full fullback dive stop. You know, but is Army's – I guess my question is, is Army's secondary going to be able to keep up with the West Virginia RPO? Uh, that is something that's going to be probably pretty new that Army hasn't seen yet this year, uh, and, and going to be tough for them to defend. Uh, the total is seven points lower than the, pro- the, the projection uh, that I have at 42, but I think it's completely justified. The question is, is whether West Virginia can hit explosive plays. Army's probably going to limit their possessions here. Army is 11th against pass explosiveness, but they have a strength of schedule of 127. So it's just it's really tough handicap because I, I think West Virginia is – going to have medium success in stopping Army. I don't think Army's going to steamroll them like they did over Houston a couple of years ago in a bowl game. That was absolutely just terrorizing. But we can see the problems with Houston's defensive line. I don't see those problems in West Virginia's defensive line. So really the handicap comes down to will West Virginia's RPO confuse the Army secondary? Could be. Maybe a chance here. Uh, big Army advantage in finishing drives, especially when West Virginia has the ball. Uh, West Virginia's defense is going to allow Army to score points, no doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, that Munkin's going to go for it on fourth down every time. Uh, big advantage for Army and special teams in this game. So a lot of the things in the box point to Army, but I come back to the fact that West Virginia is good in the trench and they may have some RPO explosive plays on the offensive side of the ball. I'm really kind of indecisive on this. Um, you know, the, the projection's lower, but I, I can see Army slimming this game down to a, a low number of possessions. Uh, I haven't made a final decision on this. I may, I may wait up till, up till game time. Or I was like, all right, who's Army going to play? I just need to find out they're going to play because I love betting service academies in bowl season. Love it. One of my favorite things to do. It's better than – no, I shouldn't say better. Second to Army-Navy unders. And I was like, all right, let me see who they're going to play. And then they get West Virginia – couple opt-outs, and I get, I get them against where I'm catching over a touchdown. That's all I needed. Well, total-wise, West Virginia's defense is, is top 20 in defensive finishing drives, and 
uh, you know, Army's 125th in seconds. We know that. And so I, I think this is an under game. Uh, it's, it's low, though. I mean, it, it's been placed lower than what it typically should be. So, you know, I, I think you're right from a point spread perspective from the side, but from a total, I've just been completely like – I mean, 42 is – if West Virginia hits one or two RPOs, I mean, this could go over 42. So definitely 42 is the last number I would take an under. Don't let it float underneath that. Yeah, West Virginia's – some of their defensive numbers are great, but Tony Fields, their best linebacker, opted out. Stills, he one of the best defensive linemen, he opted out. So – this isn't your full-strength West Virginia defense. And motivation-wise, maybe West Virginia shows up, but there's a chance they don't really care that much. And I know that Army will care a ton. So that's worth something here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to go through Arkansas TCU in depth on Wednesday when we record, but how about a 30-second just tease of that or what you're looking at or what you're looking into? Uh, I see advantages for both. Kendall Bryles uh, used to be the Baylor offensive coordinator. He rang Patterson up in the two times that he faced Gary Patterson's defense. Uh, he That was in 2015 he beat him, and then he put 62 points up on him in 2016 on TCU's defense. So these two coaches are pretty familiar with each other when it comes to Arkansas's offense versus TCU's defense. On the other side of the ball, I can't find a single quarterback that Arkansas faced that is anything like Max Duggan. And you say, well, Arkansas is in the SEC. They did not face a dual-threat quarterback. I mean, you want to go through some of these names? Mac Jones, Connor Bazelik, Ryan Finley, Kyle Trask, Jared Garantan. None of these guys are dual-threat quarterbacks. So what I've seen out of Duggan this year scares me from an Arkansas defensive perspective. So right now I'm leaning to the over. I thought the Arkansas number was too high. Hopped on that, may come back. TCU at some point, but uh, that, that's the, we'll take that as the high level going into the next podcast. And finally, we have some Monday night football at BetMGM. Buffalo Bills minus seven at New England over under 46 and a half. This total has come up some. The Bills line has gone some. I can tell you right now, the Patriots have a tad bit of value at seven. Do you want to back them? I don't know. It's ugly. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the Patriots have looked awful the past couple of weeks. The Bills have looked like the best team in the NFL. The Bills make me want to kick your heels up and shout. Throw your hands up and shout. Throw your head back and shout. Come on now. The Bills are making it happen now. Can they maintain that level? Probably not. Uh, I can tell you also that this, I think this under has some value at 46 and a half. It's ticked up. I don't know if it's going to hold, but I probably will take a piece of that under here. The reason is if you go back to the first matchup, by the way, in that first matchup with Cam Newton, who fumbled the ball with a chance to win in Buffalo territory late, that game was back. Yeah, that came back on November 1st. New England was catching four at Buffalo, and now they're catching seven at home. Buffalo has obviously improved. New England, we've seen – kind of an offensive fraud. But in that game, which ended 24-21, the total was 41. And I think there was some win. But what happened there is Josh Allen threw it 18 times, completed 11 passes for 154 yards. Why? All Bill Belichick did was sit back in dime packages and just say, Buffalo, run the ball. And they did. Singletary ran it 14 times. Moss ran it 14 times. Allen ran it 10 times. They had 38 carries. And what did Belichick do also? He said, we're going to shorten the game and run the ball. That's what they're normally doing each week. So I think Belichick's goal here, if he even wants to win, who knows? He's not even kicking field goals in Miami to go down 10 to get to seven to cover my teaser. But um, I'm assuming that's the Patriots' approach here, is they're going to say, we're going to make you run the ball, Buffalo, go up and down the field, and then when we have the ball, we're going to just go slow, we're going to run it. That is the Bills' you know, weakness, and it's been become more of a strength since they made some changes at linebacker. They've gotten healthier. Defensive line is playing better. Everything on the Bills is trending up. There's definitely value in, in the Patriots, as you'd expect, after what we've seen the past couple weeks and the perception change on both of these teams. So if you're going to take a side here, I think you have to look, Patriots, at seven or more. And from a total perspective, I think my favorite play in this game is at, at 46 and a half. I'm going to see if, it, if I can find or if it gets to 47. I'm going to monitor it there. I'll have a write-up for this game also on ActionNetwork.com and the Action app. But I think that the under has some value. I, I, this Patriots offense is so bad. The Bills defense is playing a lot better 
than it was back then when these teams first met on November 1st. And I think that the Patriots are going to try to play ball control and they're just going to say, look, especially without Gilmore, who's out for the year, they're going to say, we're going to keep everything in front of us and you're going to have to run the ball. They're going to dare the Bills to run the ball and this clock should be speeding throughout. So I like the under. I like New England here. I mean, you mentioned they played each other, you know, just on November 1st and three-point ball game with New England having a chance to win. I think the number is completely inflated. Uh, should be around four and a half, but New England doesn't have anything to play for. Uh, Buffalo does. To me, it's just a completely inflated number. Uh, it's going to be a slow pace of play, which gives me, you know, I think even more value to having a, 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 a spread of a touchdown. So for me, it was Patriots. All right, that'll do it for us. On We're going to record on Wednesday for all the weekends, bowl games, and the college football playoff. We're going to make sure we have that out to you on New Year's Eve overnight before New Year's Eve morning. So we have a lot of work to do. Dig into maybe some props for the college football playoff as well. Um, I'm excited to get to work there. And don't forget about the voicemail during the week. Let's monitor our Twitter accounts and the action app for notes and plays that come through. Because after you listen to this, there could be more opt-outs. Uh, so make sure that you try and stay up to date with them or just with us uh, because we will be keeping track of that all week. So let's have a good week and continue a successful bowl season. And we'll catch y'all later in the week. Make sure, by the way, subscribe, unsubscribe, tell a friend, rate, review, leave a review. I'll be doing more giveaways during our bowl previews. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. We're finished talking.